Good morning. I'm going to jump right into the text this morning. That's okay. So, um, again, we're kind of on this journey together, learning more about our Christian journey. As we look at 1 Peter, we've been studying that for several weeks now. And uh, just looking at the text it, today, as we go to, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 25, I want to kind of draw us back to the very first words that Peter had to the church. Uh, start thinking about what we're looking at today, because it plays into it. Um, and I want you to start to think about just this question. It's going to get asked later on. Where, where is my citizenship? You know, when I look at life, you know, what is it based on? So, when we think back to the opening of the letter, after Peter greets the church, he quickly turns his attention to eternal matters. Uh, chapters 1, uh, verses 3 and 4, he encourages the church to rejoice in their eternal inheritance found in Christ. You remember that? The first few verses there. And in that, Christ that eternal reward is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. So he's settling their minds, he's setting their minds on eternal matters. So that's what I want you to start to think about today. Not, not on what's going on in your life, what's happening right now in this moment, what's going to happen tomorrow and transpire at your work, maybe the, your to-do list, whatever it may be. Um, Maybe if you're a student in the room, the activities you got going on, I want you to think right now in this moment, how often it is that you focus on the eternal matters. Like, are you thinking about eternity in the scope of it? Um, we can also hear Paul's writing in the, to the church in Colossae saying, set your mind on things that are above, not on things below. So don't worry about worldly and earthly things. They'll take care of themselves. Set your things on mine, on the things above, which is Christ. It is the beauty of Scripture that implores us throughout its pages to dwell on Christ in eternity that is to come with Him. So listen to these wonderful verses as we set our minds today on our heavenly home. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, Instead, they were longing for a better country, talking about the patriarch, talking about David, the Israelites of old, as they had faith in God, knowing that they trusted in His covenantal promise, that they were longing for a better country, it says, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. I hope that makes you excited. You should be excited to know that this life is not it, that we have so much to be hopeful for. That God has prepared a city, a dwelling place for himself. And with us to be with him. That we ought to set our minds on that. Isaiah 51.11 says, Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and, and sighing will flee away. Isn't that good news? When we set our mind on eternal things, we know that this life, the things that we suffer in this life, the things that we deal with are minimal. They're temporal. They ultimately have no bearing on our salvation and our eternity. 
greater things are to come. See, our hope lies in this, that one day we will leave these bodies that are plagued by sickness and death, disease, sin, and awake glorified in the presence of Christ. That is our hope. We live in two realities, the now and the not yet. In the now, we have been made right before God through the blood of Christ. That's who all of us are in this room as believers. In this moment, in the now, we are made right. God looks down on us and he sees us right because his son Jesus is mediating on our behalf in heaven through his blood. That is the now. And we are victorious because of this. Despite our current situation in this body, but we long for much more, don't we? I hope you do. So I want to read this morning. I want to jump into, kind of go back to verse 9 where we looked at last week to start setting our minds on the things above and then looking at who we are now as a church and what it means for us. So I'm going to go 9 through 12 at first here. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So when you look at that, and we, we think about that, and it says chosen lineage, right, or chosen race. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that word, and I'll tell you why. It's because our mind automatically goes to the color of somebody's skin. And the Greek is really not getting at that. It's saying here that you have been purchased into God's chosen family. You're a chosen lineage, a royal priesthood, and then a holy nation. That is what he has made you. As a people here on this planet still, as we exist, that is what God considers us to be. That is how we should look at one another and look at our, the midst of one another as we congregate this morning, that God has chosen us in his family. And that separates us from other identities, other things that we classify ourselves under. So let me ask you this. Where does your citizenship lie? I asked that early on. Where does your citizenship lie? Is your identity more in terms of who you are? Maybe your profession? Is it more in terms of your freedoms, a political affiliation? Is it to a flag or to a geopolitical nation? I hope the answer to that is no. Your citizenship lies alone in Christ and in heaven. You are apart, set apart for a different purpose. You are not American first and Christian second. 
You are first and foremost that that was chosen by God and put together as a holy nation, a chosen people. So guess what that means? That means the person in Africa, the person in India, if they're believers, guess what? They are brothers to you more than the person across the street that does not profess Christ. Church, we, we have to get this right when we look at our worldview and the way that we see the world and the way that we see our nation currently and the situation that we're in, that we look not as Americans first, but we speak of hope and truth and promise in the cross, in Christ, knowing that our hope is in Him. It is the reason that 81 times throughout the gospel, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He's pointing the church back to sorry, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. When one like the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days, if you remember this text, and as he comes back to the Ancient of Days, the Ancient of Days gives him a kingdom with a people. That is the kingdom that we should be loyal to. That is who we fall as our king, as we are a nation under. It is that kingdom that we yearn for. God has determined the place that we live, and I, yes, I am thankful for that. I'm glad to be an American. I'm glad for the freedoms that we have. But it does not define me as a person, nor should it define you as a person. But we must realize this. We are sojourners and exiles in a foreign land. We are temporarily here. That's what it says down in verse 11. It says, Beloved, listen, he says, I urge you to remember this as sojourners and exiles to sustain. Sustain from passions of the flesh and wage war against the sin that's going on in your life. Because we have to remember that we are only here for a specific time and a specific purpose. We are not, I think this is the hardest thing for us as Americans to get across, is that our identity does not come back to this place. When we get to heaven and we worship Christ, or He comes back and He returns, it will not be one nation, it will be many nations, it says. Understand that you're just temporal here. And what that means for us, Ephesians 2.19, I'm going to build upon it. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's all believers of all times, of all periods. There will be billions of people in eternity from all nations and all walks of life who are worshiping the King of Kings. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. Again, it's going back to the patriarchs. They did not receive things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were, look, foreigners and strangers on earth. Philippians 3, 18 through 21, For as I have often told you before and now told you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You see the distinction? Their mind is set on earthly things. What is your mind set on? Is it earthly things? Are you concerned about the things that are going on in your life more than you are about being a citizen of the kingdom of Christ? Don't be like the world. Don't set your mind on earthly things. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, we transform our lowly body so that we will be like his glorious body. So as sojourners in this land, we realize that we have been left here for a short time, right? Short duration. Me and Brother Rick and John were talking about this last week outside, that our time here is minimal, minute. You know, we could be done today. Next week, next month. time is short and it's our duty to honor God among the nations by living holy, doing good deeds and waging war against our flesh that's what he's pointing back to understanding these are temporal fleshly bodies only then we recognize our place in this world only then can you when you set your mind on heavenly things and not on earthly things and you realize and recognize that your place in this world is just you're just an alien, you're a sojourner you're exiling through the world. That we recognize our place in this world and we submit to the authority that God has placed into our lives. And this is a hard one because I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. And um, when we think about our brothers in China under communist rule, we think about our own nation. We think about so many of our brothers in places who live under dictators and we ask the question, what does the Lord mean by all this? It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to take, <clears throat> sorry, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So, First question we have to ask, who are we to subject ourselves to? Verse 13 says, to every human institution. The institutions that the Lord has placed in our lives. So do we have to subject ourselves to our current leadership? Yeah, the Bible is explicit about that. Do you have to subject yourself to future leadership? Yes. The Bible is clear about it. And this is tough because we don't always like it and we don't agree with it. We don't have to. 
See, we found a list down at verse 17. We honor everyone, right? So I hope, despite whatever walk of life you, you are coming from as a Christian, as a believer, when you come across your neighbors and your coworkers and, and people from different walks of life, that you treat them with the dignity and respect that they deserve. Because, guess what? We are all made in God's image. We are image bearers. Does that mean that everybody recognizes who God is? No, it doesn't. But we treat all people with dignity and respect. We are told to do that. That we are to submit ourselves to one another. That we are to love the brotherhood. That's talking about the church. That we should be the people that have such affection for one another. Such care. That we'll lay down our time, our efforts, our money to do whatever it takes to help one another out. That we love one another, we genuinely listen to one another, we care for one another, and we meet one another's needs. It says love the brotherhood. It says fear God. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It ties all this together. And it says honor the emperor. That's a tough one. Because it's not just tough for me now because I don't think y'all realize how good we have it still even, even in America because I'm thinking about when Peter's writing this letter right so it's around 80, 63, 64 the emperor's Nero one of the most horrific, violent leaders to ever live on the face of the planet some things he did if you want me to give you his resume he killed his mom he murdered his two wives, um, killed anyone who thought that he thought may try to betray him or unseat him from power. And he was known well for putting to death Christians and doing horrible things to them. And yet here it is, Peter is writing a letter to those who are suffering and about to suffer more saying, honor the emperor. And I had a time with that this week. It's, it's a tough passage. When I think about people who advocate for putting children in the womb to death, like, how do I honor that? It, it doesn't mean that we agree with their political ideology or their thought process or what they're doing or even that we bow the knee before them. But we also understand that God has put them in their position. You get that? You know what? Joe Biden is only president because God ordained it to be so. Donald Trump was only president because God ordained it to be so. The same is true, and it's a tough thing to pill to swallow when we think about those kind of things in light of some of the tragedies that have happened throughout history and leaders that we've seen. But what we do know, and the scriptures are clear about it, is that God sets those people into place. And just as quickly as he rises them up, guess what? He'll tear them down. So is it our job to agree with every politician? No, it is not. It is our job to live it out as Christians, the message of the gospel. To treat people with dignity and respect. We'll see shortly why that is, but um, it's, 
we, so I want you to pay attention to something here. When it says, you go back to the verse that I read and I left off with, it says in 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, right? And then it says, honor the emperor. It doesn't say fear the emperor, does it? We're not to fear our government or what they can do to us. Because why? It goes back to that, where does our citizenship lie? That's why I wanted to get that across to you at the beginning because we need to be thinking upon the things of heavenly matters, not earthly matters. Because if the government were to storm in here now and put us all to death, so what? We have a earthly, I mean a heavenly kingdom that we're looking forward to. We only fear the Lord. That's why that's there. You honor the emperor, but you fear the Lord because... The Lord is the one that determines the emperor and what the emperor can do and what he can't do. It is him. No man has any power above God. I don't care who becomes president of this land. And I don't care what happens because Christ sits on his kingdom. And we are under that kingdom. And you should get your joy in that. That no matter what happens in this life... That's where your joy comes from. So I said, who are we to subject ourselves to? He gives us a list. Why do we subject ourselves to these people? Not only do we fear the Lord, but it says in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. In verse 15, because it is his will. It is his will for our lives to subject ourselves to all governing authorities. We're going to talk about marriage next week. It's an institution given by God. So, as we subject ourselves to that, it is for the sake of the Lord, the Lord's sake and His will. And the Lord's sake often refers to His name. So it is for the glory of His name that we do what we do. That we live out our Christian lives and it says, and that by doing good, verse 15, and living honorable lives, verse 12, we put to silence those who are ignorant, those who are foolish. So, Christian, this might be a hard one for you today. When you get on Facebook or any media platform, and all you do is bicker and you fight, and you post stuff, I understand that we have views and, and those things are good and, and they're right to debate in the correct areas. But the problem is, is when we get out in those type of platforms and we start to argue with people and we don't demonstrate honor and respect to people and good deeds to people and all we are are keyboard Christians and that's what we do, it does no good for the kingdom of God. For you to argue political points doesn't change a person's heart. Maybe you change their political ideology, but guess what? It doesn't change their heart because you haven't given them the gospel. So quit thinking that it's electing the right person that's going to do something right. It is not. It is only through the gospel that's going to change people. That is the only way a culture changes. So we do it... For the Lord's sake, his name, and to put those who are fools to ignorance and quiet them. 
as a theme throughout First Peter, by the way. Over and over again, we see the good that believers are to do. Not only to one another, but to others outside of the church. How we should treat one another. It's a running theme. You should see it often. Listen to Romans 12, 14 through 21. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How good of a job do we do at this? When you look at that and you think, well, I don't really know. As a believer, immediately when someone does something to me, my reaction wants to be one of the flesh, right? Like, I want to go back at them. Like, I want to tell them off. I want to give them what I think. I want to treat them the way that they treated me. But is that how Christ treated us? And then in effect, is that how we should treat other people? Is live at peace with everyone. Because why? Who's, who gets the revenge? Who, who's our uh, avenger? God. Not us. It's not our job. God says he will come back in the fullness of his wrath. And those people will deal with their actions. They will be held accountable before a holy God for what they have done. If you continue to go down to Romans 13, you would actually see it reiterated again what First Peter has stated uh, about the governing authorities. And that's 13, 1 through 5. I would encourage you to do that. But Titus 3, 1 and 2 says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone now again I want you to take a step back and ask the question do you see that among your Christian brethren when you look is this true do we treat people peaceably are we slandering people are we hurting people a lot of times when you ask folks about Christianity that's what they'll tell you. It's like, I don't like what I see out of people who profess to be Christians. And it's that, it's that lifestyle. When we act in accordance with not realizing where our citizenship lies, that we are just going through this world 
as exiles and foreigners, that we should live in accordance for God's name's sake. We're not thinking about that often when we're slandering other people, when we're being malicious towards other people. We're not loving other people. And we're called here to do that. It doesn't, get, it doesn't say be gentle towards the church or your brothers in Christ. It says be gentle towards everyone. It goes back to honor everyone. It's this understanding that as we as believers, we are the only reflection and demonstration of God's hope to a lost and broken world. If they can't see it in you, how do you expect them to see it anywhere else? They will turn to everywhere else to find it. So I think, you know, in this room, we would all agree the past decade, we've kind of been in a political whirlwind, right? But we must remember that we are exiles in a foreign land that we are called with a special purpose by the Lord, which is to glorify Him. Ultimately, this is built around the namesake of the Lord. You see, in our submission, we suffer well for the glory of God. We should suffer well for the glory of God. Verses 19 through 25. It says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin or beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, in our submission we suffer well for the glory of God. As we submit and do good deeds to those who don't deserve it, we glorify God. Even when we are treated unjustly, verse 19 and 20 say, it is a gracious thing that the Lord has given us to suffer for His name. How is that? How is it a gracious thing? When we suffer well, it points back to the God that we serve, entrusting ourselves to Him and leaving vengeance to Him alone. That's what it does. It, it makes people ask, what kind of people are they that they would endure such things but still reciprocate with good deeds? It does. When your neighbor mistreats you, when your boss mistreats you because of your faith and, and your suffering and you're dealing with persecution... Or maybe it's some other type of suffering you're dealing with. Some physical ailment. How do we reciprocate? We do it in good deeds. We act back kindly towards people. Why? Because it burns, it 
pours burning coals on their head. It, it basically makes them deal with the fact of why are these people acting so different than myself? And it is a lead way into the gospel. Let me ask you this. What is your response when people mistreat you? Your family? Your children? It's a tough one, right? For parents. Or grandchildren. <laughs> what is your response? Are you responding like Christ? Are you acting in love even though they, you may have been mistreated? How we respond to whatever life may bring us is a direct reflection of what we are entrusting our lives to. It is a direct reflection of what you entrust your life to. How you respond does. It determines that. So are we trusting that the Lord knows what he is doing and that through it all, that it is for our good and for his glory? Are we trusting that? Even in the toughest and most difficult of circumstances and times, are you trusting and understanding that the Lord's purpose will not be thwarted? That he is doing it for our good and for his glory? It's hard to envision that sometimes. I understand. But think about the people that Peter was writing to and what he is calling them to, who Paul was writing to, and what he was calling them to. Literally, as Paul was writing the Romans in Rome, they're being murdered and killed every day. They had real suffering. So if that time does arrive here, ever in America, may you be prepared because you understand that it is not in this life that you are concerned about, but it is in the kingdom that's to come. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then Philippians 1, 27 and 29 it says, Whatever happens, con conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, this is Paul talking, he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Don't fear. Who does this Peter say to fear? Fear God. That's it. Don't be frightened by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God... And that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. See, verse 29 says, of Philippians there, says it has been granted to us to suffer. It goes back to the idea it's a gracious thing. I'm not trying to act here as if suffering is what saves us. But suffering is a part of the Christian life. And going back to 1 Peter 2.21, it is so that we may follow in the steps of Christ, it says. And what did he do? Listen to this. This is what the verse says. 
He didn't revile in return. He didn't pay them back as they beat him, as they mocked him, they spat upon him. They nailed nails through his hands and through his feet and put him on a cross. That through three years of his ministry, they constantly were waging war against him and what he was teaching and preaching. He did not revile in return. He suffered. He did not threaten. And here's this word again. He entrusted. What it says. Said he entrusted, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges judges justly. Going back to that idea that God is in control of all of this, and it's okay. He saved us through his suffering. May it be through our suffering that we point others to him through our suffering. That's why we are travelers through this foreign land, so that we may point others to him. That's why you're still here. That's why you still exist. He could have easily taken you out of this world the moment you became justified by Christ, but he didn't. He left you here for a greater purpose for his name's sake in order to point others to him. Now, many of us may go through life without ever dealing with real suffering. And that's okay. But I want you to be prepared, folks. If, if that moment ever arrives in your life and you have to deal with it, that you deal with it accordingly as a Christian should because your view is on that of a heavenly kingdom and not an earthly kingdom. And that we look at Christ here and we think, what did Christ do? How am I to live my life in view of that? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an assignment this week because this goes into your now what, which is your growth group material. Read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And look at what Christ did. Go there and look. Jesus wasn't born in a manger. He pre-existed before all time. So Philippians 2 points us to how Christ came out of that and became a baby for our sake and why he did it. I think it has a lot of great points there of what we can take away when we look at the life of Christ and it says to humble ourselves like Christ humbled himself. Because every time I look at the pages of Scripture, we are to be different than the world, to be set apart, not acting like them, but acting like Christ. Father God, thank you for today. May we be reminded, Lord, each and every day to think about we wake up and we have breath in our lungs because Lord we serve your kingdom that we know you sit on your throne and the men who sit on thrones of this earth mean nothing they will pass and fade away as you have put them there you will break them down because Lord you will come back one day and Lord, you will set up your eternal kingdom and we will be your people as we already are. It's that now and not yet, Lord. It's the understanding of, Lord, we have so much to look forward to. We have so much to hope for in you. And I pray that our hope is always in you. And Lord, that we are kind and gentle with the world around us and dealing with people 
and sharing the gospel. But at the same time, Lord, living ethically as we should, Lord, for those who are hurting, those who are oppressed, those who are in need. Lord, may we go out of this building and live for your kingdom today in light of who you are and what you have done. In your name I pray. Amen.